0: You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls.
2: The House of
3: Cards.
2: Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player, Ashley Adams.
3: Okay, you have some skin.
4: Hi, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams, your host for the hour. We have two guests and, of course, a mailbag segment. The first guest is an author, a multiple-book author. He's written uh, seven books or so. His most recent is A Winning Gambling Strategy and How to Get It. His name is Greg Elder, and we'll be talking to him about his adventure, how he became a professional gambler, and how he became an author. And then we're going to talk to somebody I was eager to uh, talk to because I knew one of the products that he has produced – Uh, I visited the Mob Museum uh, with my mother back, uh, oh, half a year or so ago. And we will be having on as a guest Jeff Silver, who is the vice chairman of the board of the Mob Museum, to talk about how it got built, what it covers, uh, and the influence of the mob in Las Vegas. So stay tuned. We'll also have a great mailbag segment, I'm sure, with my uh, producer Dave Weishaddle. So come back quickly, and we'll be here talking about poker.
5: We'll be back with more House of Cards right after this. But i got to ask you, is there anything better than watching football on Thanksgiving? I got you one better. Playing special Thanksgiving Day-only fantasy football games on FanDuel. Pick only players from Thursday's games, sit back and enjoy the holiday while winning some cash. By the way, my compliments to the NFL schedulers. Every NFL game this Thanksgiving has playoff implications. That means these are great teams. Great teams mean great players, and great players mean big fantasy points. And on FanDuel.com, big fantasy points mean big money. Come on, stuff in your face, watching football and winning some cash. Is that the perfect day or what? Matt Nichols from Ohio turned a $25 deposit into over 25 dollars playing fantasy football on FanDuel. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football leagues. No season-long commitments and no upfront fees. They got immediate cash payouts and you play each week or whenever you want to. It's all up to you. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and use my code H-O-C and sign up now. The new user special is ending soon and FanDuel will match your first deposit dollar for dollar up to 200 bucks. That's up to $200 free, but the offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code H-O-C. FanDuel.com, where every week is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today with promo code H-O-C. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey.
0: People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips, pumping fists in Fort Lee and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Texas Hold'em, daily tournaments, and sit-and-goes. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you trust, so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure.
5: And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. Play on a -a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a ProCaliber poker table. ProCaliber tables are made with the highest quality gaming suede on the market. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now, you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a ProCaliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code HOCRADIO, that's HOCRADIO, when you check out at ProCaliber.com or when ordering by phone at 24025-POKER, 24025-POKER, that's 240257 Six five three seven ProCaliber Poker Tables. Stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for.
5: Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. You're listening to the House of Cards. Whoa! I think we got a show. Oh yeah, we got a show. We definitely got a show.
0: Oh yeah, there's a show. Hey, it's all about ratings,
6: baby, and we got them.
4: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. As promised, we have a guy who's going to be a guest on this show right now who has, I think, a fascinating personal story to tell. He's an author. He's an educator. He's a very, very interesting guy. I'd like to introduce him. Greg, are you there? Yes, sir. I am here. Our listeners, we're talking to Greg Elder, who is the author most recently of two books. One is Gamblers Fight Back. A Professional Gambler's Journey of How to Survive and Thrive in the Casino, and then A Winning Gambling Strategy and How to Get It. Now, Greg, these are not the only books you've written, are they? You've written at least one more, I believe, right?
2: Yes, actually, I've written nine. Um, These are my two, what I like to call my two foundations. Um, The Gambler's Fight Back is more of my journey as a professional gambler, and it's sort of like a memoir and I go through the different uh, techniques I used as an advantage gambler. Whereas my most recent book, The Winning Gambling Strategy, is geared more towards the average gambler and what they can do um, to basically lower the casino's advantage and not take you know hundreds of hours of practice to do it.
4: All right, let's start with your journey because I think that'll help. Uh, people understand who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Tell us your story of how you became to become a professional gambler.
2: Well, I had always been, you know, fascinated with the mathematics behind gambling, um, and I had studied it from the time I was probably 18 years old. Read books, uh, watched movies, and had always heard that it was possible, indeed, to be an advantage gambler. I got to a point in my life where I was in a profession actually selling insurance, and I was absolutely miserable. At the time, I had a wife and and daughter, which I still do, but um, I was unhappy in the job, and I simply walked out. And I was determined to do something that I was absolutely passionate about, and I had always been passionate about gambling, and not just gambling, but what is known as advantage gambling. And so I was determined to take all these theories that I had read in books, and, and the mathematics were sound. I knew the mathematics were sound, but was it indeed practical? Was it indeed possible to actually go out and do this? And that really intrigued me. It was risky. My wife thought I was crazy when uh, I told her what I was going to do. But uh, it was something, at, I was at a point in my life that I needed to do it.
4: Well, I want to stop you there because I want to put this in context because you are a very unusual guy. And I knew that when I read about how you were in your job as an insurance person and you decided to leave and you're looking out at the different options uh, that might be available to you. And I love the section of your book where you're talking about what else might you do? And you thought, hmm, let's see. Maybe I could become, well, I was passionate about sports. Um, I've always had a little athletic skill, so I thought of becoming a professional bowler. Even though I'm a terrible bowler now, how hard would it be to become great? Get a trainer, work out every day. In a couple of years, I'll be on the pro tour. The prize money isn't bad, and they even get on ESPN ESPN every so often. Uh, So how come you didn't become a professional
2: bowler? <laughs> <laughs> well, that should give you an idea of the mindset I was in i was I was just basically brainstorming everything that I could do that you know I had some talents that was something that was out of the ordinary and you know the bowling thing you know that story's sort of in jest, but it you know it honestly did cross my mind. Um, it ended quite quickly when I ran it by my wife and she looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. So I didn't really pursue that. But it was just the the mindset that I had, I needed something. Different. You know, I I was tired of the nine to five. I was tired of the grind. I needed something that would get me out of bed every morning that I would be, you know, eager to, to get into and just something different. Right. And, and I, I get
4: it. And you figure you could. But what I find fascinating is that you had enough confidence in yourself to figure that even if you as an adult knew nothing about it, you could learn it and master it to the point that you could make a living at it
2: right and and that that's again the mindset I was in it was that i could i had all all these talents, and it was finding something that would really. There was certainly going to be some uncertainty there as to the outcome, and I knew that. And and the same with gambling, I didn't know if I was going to be successful, whether it was going to work, and if I did try bowling, I don't know that you know I I could have actually accomplished that. But the pursuit of that dream, the pursuit of doing just something out of the ordinary, was was what really drove me. Okay. And uh, so, how did you
4: yeah. focus on the games that you ended up focusing on?
2: Well as I got into it and and you know studying the mathematics behind it, as you know, there's only certain games in the casino that can actually be played with an advantage um and everybody knows poker, which is the most popular because you're not actually competing against the casino obviously um you're you're going against the other players, they get the rake uh the percentage, so they're happy um but you're you're actually competing against other players. What I wanted to find and test were all the games that uh, supposedly could be played with an advantage. And those are primarily uh, blackjack card counting, uh, sports gambling, and uh, video poker. And those three games were basically what what I set my sights on. And I sort of methodically went through each of those games. I taught myself how to count cards. I taught myself all the mathematical plays behind uh, video poker, um, sports gambling. I got into into that. And um, I just kind of went through each of those and, again, just tried to determine whether or not it was actually possible to do this.
4: So Stay tuned. We'll be back after a break.
0: Check raising stupid tourists and taking huge pots off them. Yeah? Stacks and towers of
6: checks I can't even see over. Playing all night, high limit, hold them in the Taj, where the
2: sand turns to gold. Here, let's go. Don't tease me. Let's play some cards.
5: This is House of Cards Radio with SCL. They're
1: playing poker!
4: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Our listeners, we're talking to Greg Elder, who is the author most recently of two books. One is Gambler's Fight Back, a professional gambler's journey of how to survive and thrive in the casino, and then a winning gambling strategy and how to get it. And how many hours of blackjack once you you decided you were proficient? I'm not talking about the hours you might have played while you were still learning, but once right. you mastered basic strategy and adopted a counting system that you thought you became proficient at, how many right. hours of blackjack did you actually play in a casino? Well,
2: it, it's still at that point an uh, ongoing uh, process because even once you, you master it in in your home and once you get to the casino, it's a completely different atmosphere And now, all of a sudden, you have the casino, obviously, looking out for card counters. And it's, you know, I I couldn't even count the the total number of hours, but, you know, thousands of hours. And it it does become become a a bit of a grind. But, again, it's that cat-and-mouse game of, you know, who's watching me? Do they know that I'm counting cards? Is the, you know, are they... Is heat getting on me? Um, You know, so it it was that constant um, cat-and-mouse game that that does wear on you. And that's why a lot of blackjack card counters, they they play very short sessions. Um, You try to get as many hours as you can in, but you can't stay in one place too long because of the heat. Um, As a lot of people may or may not know – because there are some misconceptions card counting is not illegal it's um been held up by the courts many times it's not you're not doing anything wrong you're not cheating you're not doing anything illegal but the reason casinos can kick you out is for the fact that they're private establishments and they can basically ask anyone they want to leave as long as it's not based on race, uh, ethnicity, that type of stuff.
4: Right. So you became proficient at card counting. I'm just curious, where did you play? What are some of the places you play? Did you stick to one casino? Did you go all over so that they wouldn't figure you out too
2: quickly? What did you do? Well, I'm based on the East Coast, so I spent a lot of time in Atlantic City. And Atlantic City's not ideal now. Atlantic City they can't cannot... kick you
4: out though in Atlantic City,
2: right? absolutely what they like to do in Atlantic City is sort of play games they'll come if they think you're counting they'll uh, you know shuffle a deck up on you um, they'll they'll flat bet you uh, do different tactics to to take away your advantage but they can't actually act, ask you to leave but Atlantic City has all shoe games you know six and eight 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 decks so it's a little tougher to get an advantage so I had to make my way to Vegas as often as I could. But then, you know, obviously you're factoring in travel expenses. But Vegas definitely has the best games.
4: Did you go they out to – uh, did you go to Harris Cherokee?
2: Yes, I, I went to Harris Cherokee. But at the time, um, I actually hit them on an advantage play for video poker. And that's another game people don't – they kind of associate it with slot machines – but they don't realize that um, every decision you make in a video poker machine is a mathematically-based decision. There's a right and a wrong move. and certain games, if played perfectly, you can actually have an advantage over the casino. So at the time, Harris-Cherokee... Um, they did not have live dealers it was a uh, compute computer they had dealers but they it was a computer based blackjack game which they shuffle um, each round so you can't count but I did manage to find it a a very lucrative uh video poker play there that I took advantage uh, of for quite a while actually let's
4: talk a little bit more about video poker because I think uh listeners may be under a misconception you helped uh clear up one which is you can gain an advantage but you can gain an advantage in actually a couple of ways right it's not just 100% plus machines there are also other things that you can use to add to your bottom line that might not be immediately apparent could you talk about that comps and uh promotions
2: absolutely and they're they're the key to uh video poker players cuz like you said Nowadays, there's very few machines that um, actually have over 100% payback, and comps and rewards promotions are your lifeline. And the problem with that, and it's similar to card counting, is that once they're onto you as an advantage gambler, they start to... Pull those things, but you're absolutely right. You can play a machine, say a machine that's called a 9 to 6 Jacks or Better video poker. If you play that perfectly, it's a 99.54% payback, which obviously isn't over 100%. But if you're playing on a day where there's triple points, um, if you're if they're giving you a certain amount of cash back, and you start to combine these things. And it's all mathematically based. You you work it into a mathematical formula. You know how much play, what they're going to give you back on the play. And you you work it out to where you have an actual advantage. And an interesting thing that I I do want to say that I want people to know, and and this is similar to poker in a lot of ways, you can do – the right things you can make all the right plays you can actually have a one two percent advantage over the casino every time you play but in the short term luck dictates a lot of what happens to you and i know in poker you can make all the right plays and you can do the right things but ultimately in the short term luck can play a major factor and that and that's where a lot of people get discouraged. They don't give the math time to work itself out. Eventually, if you play long enough, the math is gonna dictate what happens to you. And that's how casinos make money. They they know what the math is. They believe in the math. Now they have much more than a you know, two percent advantage on a lot of games, but um You know, they rely on the math, and that's what advantage gamblers need to do.
6: And you have
4: a problem, right? You have a problem relying on the math. I think you told the story that, first of all, you have a finite bankroll. And second of all, uh, in order to get the best percentages, you may have to play higher than your risk tolerance is in order to shave the house advantage to a very tiny number. Tell us about that risk of ruin and finite bankroll.
2: Well, uh, and I'm not sure who said it, but a famous gambler once said, they were asking him, what's the best advice for a new professional um, gambler? And he said, to get lucky early. (laughs) And the reason reason for that is because, you know, most people don't have a $50,000 bankroll to start with. And they start with smaller bankrolls, and right away, you're at a disadvantage. And what happened to me was I did – I started off very well. I I stuck by the mathematics, and I was presented an opportunity – and my bankroll basically could not sustain it. And I knew going in I had about a 50-50 chance of risk of ru- ruin, which, to put in perspective, is very high. Normally, you do not want it. Normally, you want to try to get it down to about a 2%. Well, I was at about a 50% chance of risk of ruin. And as intelligent as I am, I, you know, I made a rookie mistake and i i was doing really well my bankroll was growing substantially and i took a shot and unfortunately it cost me in the end but it was a great learning experience and it and it, it taught me to always remain to always focus on the principles that i know to be true
4: well we could talk a lot longer we've pretty much run out of time, but I am curious, uh, you did this adventure for about how long, and then what are you doing now?
2: I did it for about a year. The, the, The objective was to do it for a year to see what happens. And what happened along the way, interestingly enough, I started a blog just sort of out of fun, and I started getting all these questions about, you know, how do you do this or how do you do that? And the blog soon turned into... Um, you know, different writings and things like that. And next thing I know, I was writing a book, and I was offered a book deal. And that was my original book, which is uh, Gambler's Fight Back, um, about my journey, about my memoir. And from that, I've had, I mean, you know, tons of experiences as far as writing. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to write this latest book, A Winning Gambling Strategy and How to Get It. And it's just turned into a lot of different things um, as far as writing because people want to know. They, they want to take all my experiences and the mistakes i made, the things that I've learned, and I try to put those so that they don't make those same mistakes.
4: Well, I think they're both excellent books. I recommend them to somebody who doesn't really understand gambling and wants to learn some of the basics so that they lose money less quickly Uh, when they're gambling, and maybe even win some money if they can learn some of the advantage plays that you've outlined. You've been a very good guest, Greg, and uh, why don't you give us your website uh, where people can get a copy of the book as well?
2: Absolutely. Um, My author site is simply gregelderauthor.com, and you can see all my books are on there, and they're all available on Amazon, and you can also go to my blog, which is ProGamblersLife.com, and on there I give a lot of different tips and uh, advice on gambling, and uh, that has a lot of my information as well.
4: Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Greg.
2: It's been my pleasure. I appreciate it, Ashley.
4: Uh, Listeners, that was Greg Elder, author of A Winning Gambling Strategy and How to Get It, as well as Gamblers Fight Back, and also I just learned seven other books. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back.
0: Attention, taxpayers. If you've received a notice from the IRS or state, do not ignore it. It's also a big mistake to try and handle your tax problem on your own. If you owe back taxes, it's a fact that the government has the power to take everything you own, including your home, business, wages, savings, and your freedom. But here's the good news. There's a special toll-free tax hotline set up especially for you. This tax hotline will tell you about new programs that are geared to help you dramatically settle, reduce, or eliminate what you owe. But you have to call now. Take down this number or put it in your cell phone. But call 1-866-577-4680. That's one 1-866-5- 866 When you call, you get free information on how you can reduce or eliminate back taxes, including penalties and interest. You can also be helped if you have unfiled returns, a tax lien, wage garnishment, bank levy, or if you've been entered into a payment plan but can't make the payments. Don't make the big mistake in thinking you can ignore or handle your tax problem on your own. You can stop the collection process immediately. Call this special tax hotline today for free info at 1-866-577-4680. That's 1-866-577-4680. 1-866-577-4680.
5: Hey, this is Dave Weishuttle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of November 24th, 2014. The Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board has awarded its second casino license for the city of Philadelphia. The casino is planned for the South Philadelphia area near the city's three sports arenas. The project will cost more than $425 million and calls for a 200,000 square foot property, a 240 room hotel, 2,000 slot machines, and 125 traditional table games. And just when you thought the Revel Casino in Atlantic City was out of the news, it keeps coming back. Brookfield Holdings, the company who was approved to buy the Revel Casino for $110 million, is walking away from the deal. The sticking point is the debt from the construction of Revel's adjacent power plant and the refusal of the bondholders to rework that debt. ACR Energy Partners was the group who built the power plant with about $158 million in financing. And finally, former Major League Baseball player Jose Canseco lost big at the poker table. Nope, not money. He lost his finger. Canseco underwent surgery last month after shooting himself in the hand and the finger fell off while he was playing in a poker tournament. Canseco wanted to sell the finger on eBay. However, eBay refused, saying it has a rule about selling body parts. That's quite a little existence you've carved out for yourself, Jose. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom@houseofcardsradio.com at and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley
1: Adams. Take the cards, big man. Show us how it's played.
4: Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. And if you listen to this show fairly regularly, you'll know that I am a regular visitor to Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, and, in fact, have had opportunities to do a lot of things other than just play poker, which is, of course, my first passion, one of which was to visit uh, a great museum called the Mob Museum that I wouldn't say is a tribute to the mob in Las Vegas, but it's certainly a wonderful collection of uh, interesting exhibits about the mob and their history in that city. So we decided to have on somebody who is intimately familiar with this museum in fact he is the vice chairman of the board of the non-profit organization known as the mob museum his name is jeff silver he's an esteemed attorney of long standing in las vegas also a former regulator who has had experience with the casino industry for many many years and here he is jeff are you there
6: I am, Ashley, thank you.
4: Well, we're happy to have you on, and I uh, hope you can shed some light on Las Vegas and this museum in particular. Tell us about the origins of the Mob Museum and your connection to it.
6: The Mob Museum essentially was the brainchild of uh, former Mayor Oscar Goodman, who himself was a mob lawyer in town and uh, had had quite a reputation defending organized crime types. Um, next to the City Hall building was a vacant... Uh, Former post office and federal building that was in a state of disrepair, and happened to be one of the few buildings in Las Vegas that uh, is on the National Register of Historical Places. Since we we blow up all of our hotels after a few years and, and build new <laughs> ones on the on the same spot, that's right. This was one of the few great buildings that were that was left as a legacy. So we took the uh, the, the uh, opportunity uh to receive the building as uh, a $1 grant from the Park Service uh, with the condition that we use it for some type of a charitable or museum-type purpose. And then Oscar Goodman decided that uh, this the uh, Mob Museum might be a good idea because, of course, Las Vegas has always been identified with mob-related activities, and its origin certainly uh, comes from that uh, genre. So uh, that idea kind of uh, percolated for a while, and... Uh, developed into something really worthwhile as you indicated
4: well I I was in Las Vegas for my mother's birthday it was my gift to her she's not a gambler at all as in fact many visitors to Las Vegas are not gamblers or only very casually so uh, in fact if I understand correctly the amount of revenue per visitor is now more than 50 percent of it is not from gaming itself but from ancillary uh, businesses in the uh, Las Vegas area, but in any event, I wanted to give her a tour of the city that did not include going to the gaming tables. I mean, I pointed out that they existed, but we did everything but gamble. And uh, one of the centerpieces of her time there was going to the Mob Museum, which I thought initially it'll be like a 20, 30-minute little thing through, and they'll have some pictures of old mobsters, and maybe they'll have a couple of uh, short clips. But really, it was uh, two and a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-hour Uh, treasure trove of stuff. How did you assemble all all of the exhibits, and how long did it take for you to actually go from start to end of building that museum up?
6: The museum itself uh, was a a project in the making for a number of years. I mean, we we spent over $40 million in the uh, rehabilitation (laughs) of the building. Who was to know that we had to actually make the building uh, earthquake-proof and everything else? And uh, the building itself was used as a uh, uh, social security office, which is rather a bland uh use of a such an esteemed uh, location uh, they t- They peeled back the sheetrock walls on the social security office and found this gorgeous courtroom with all of the filigree and all of the design features and so on of a of a truly remarkable place and This is the the same courtroom in which uh, uh, the Kefauver hearings were held uh, back in the oh, wow. early 1950s uh, talking about organized crime around the country. So they took this this uh, building and rehabbed it uh, with grants and so on and the end result was is that we had a, a marvelous place for which to uh, put our exhibits but what type of exhibits would we put in there? We uh, retained the services of Dennis Berry and you may remember that name from the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., as well as the Rock and Roll Museum in Cleveland, Ohio, which is now a hot spot, I guess. Um, the uh, He and his wife and the Gallagher and Associates out of California uh, came up with a storyboard talking about the development of organized crime in this country and law enforcement's reaction to it. And we started to build uh, exhibits and a theme board based on that. And uh, that's why the museum is so interesting if you walk in there and you're really in the middle of a movie. I know that you know anytime I turn on the TV and pass through the Godfather movie, I'm just compelled to stop and watch the rest of it it's just it's just a story that is so fascinating to all of us.
4: yeah I have a couple of questions actually three questions about that. first of all, was there any concern in the development of the storyboard, so to speak, and in the exhibits themselves that you would glorify a chapter of American history that should not be glorified but condemned?
6: Well, I, I know that that was one of the major concern that all of us who were uh, sitting on this board of uh, directors uh, thought about, and, and, and indeed, uh, when the Mob Museum opened, there were a number of judges that decided not to, uh, to go to the opening party because they thought that they were somewhere way... Uh, stamping their approval on organized crime, but as you know, the, the museum is really known as the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement. And the chairman of our board is Ellen Knowlton, who is the former special agent in charge of the FBI office here in Las Vegas. So we certainly had uh, respectable credentials in terms of our own management operations. And uh, we took very, very caref- careful care uh, to make sure that uh, we didn't overemphasize the uh, the glamour of organized crime to the exclusion of the role that was played by law enforcement. In fact, uh, some of the exhibits that we have are, are really uh, a tribute to the mob busters, guys like uh, Elmer Irey from the... Uh, IRS and uh, Elliot Ness, of course, J. Edgar Hoover, and others who uh, did so much to bring down the mob uh, in the various uh, cities that uh, we we highlight here. So uh, there, there certainly is an effort to balance the theme. Uh, the original theme of the, the museum was there are two sides to every story, and uh, we certainly give both elements of that in the mob museum when we tell our, our tales.
4: Well, I can, I can attest to the fact that you do, in fact, show a lot of the Uh, law enforcement end of things, though one certainly leaves the museum with a better sense of the mob than of the people that uh, pursued them. Uh, For listeners who just tuned in, by the way, we're talking to Jeff Silver, who is the vice chairman of the board of what is commonly known as the Mob Museum. Uh, My second question along those lines is, did any of the families – formerly known as the mafia families did any of them or their descendants contact you about you know renting out the place for family to or for a, a group to come visit and mass I mean was there any of that that went on as far as you know
6: not specifically for a family reunion no pun intended but <laughs> it was certainly uh, the the kind of thing that uh, allowed us to attract Contributions, uh, donations of memorabilia from various descendants of people who were highlighted in the in the museum in one form or another. Uh, we, we know, we've got we've got artifacts from those individuals uh, that want to at least share a bit of the memories that they had. Uh, usually, the children of the uh, of the people that were involved uh, wanting to to perpetuate at least the reputation and the uh, uh, the glory uh, of their parents. So, did you you have any
4: opposition from, uh, and I don't mean to be disparaging to any particular ethnic group, but did like an Italian American association uh, go after you for unfairly portraying an ethnic group? Was there any of that?
6: Well, certainly there was a commentary by uh, various officials and. In uh, organizations that are designed to protect the reputation of a certain ethnic group uh, from being besmirched, but you know when they when they came over and actually visited the museum, saw what we were doing, uh, the attitude com- completely changed. Uh, they, they understood that this was a uh, an effort on our part to uh, at least perpetuate and memorialize a, uh, an important part of Las Vegas's history, and in, in fact the history of our country. Uh, talking about things such as prohibition and and, uh, the, the rise and fall of organized crime in this country is an important story to be told. And it certainly is, is one that's very compelling. I know from my own perspective, I, I grew up here in Las Vegas in the 50s and 60s. And I saw, you know, organized crime involvement in the various hotels. And then I became a regulator as a member of the state's gaming control board. And we were embarking on a, a, a quest to remove organized crime from our casino industry and that included the fact that there were people being killed almost on a weekly basis in various cities around the country as they tussled for uh, control rights to uh, various properties in Las Vegas and various activities that were going on here. Uh, when I was on, on the control board, for example, uh, there, I had people that came uh, to see me one day and uh, uh, wanted to give me information about how skimming was going on at the, one of the hotels. And and I took the information down and I said, I hope you weren't being followed over here. And the guy said, no, I was very careful. And uh, that was the last anyone saw of him. Uh, his car was found oh. at the airport two weeks later and he hasn't been seen since. So you could see that the people that were involved in this, uh, they definitely played for keeps.
4: Uh, absolutely. And I just want to reiterate that uh, this is a great museum. We have about A minute and a half left. I want to ask you something you may not know, but I am curious. Would you say the influence of the mob is 100% gone from Las Vegas? Are there any vestiges still left? And if so, in what ways?
6: Well, I don't think there are any vestiges of the mob, per se, as we knew it and it's, as it's characterized in the museum, but certainly we're in the process right now of cracking down on money laundering and uh, and bribery, uh, illicit activities from around the world. Uh, this has definitely been a, a global problem, and uh, we had, uh, you know, arrests fairly recently about a group that set up in one of the hotels and was ca- taking illegal wagers on a, a World Cup event, uh, and supposedly the individuals were involved with some association with a with the triad in, in uh, China. So uh, we're seeing all kinds of, of uh, ancillary activities that are not associated with hotels, uh, but in fact are are uh, still out there in, in attempting to take advantage of the casino industry here. I see. Well,
4: give your website uh, to our listeners so people can read more about what you have to offer, your hours and the like.
6: Well, I, uh, the website is www.themobmuseum.org. And I would invite everybody who is going to be in Las Vegas uh, in the uh, late September time frame uh, to come and listen to, the, to one of our many, uh, uh, Programs that we have, we're talking about border insecurity and the Mexican car- drug cartels and their threat uh, to America. That's going to happen on September 23rd, but we have these uh, periodically throughout the year, and it's a very interesting opportunity to to learn more about uh, what's going on in the world in terms of of uh, the criminal activities.
4: Okay, I think that would be a great time to be out there. Also, the weather is much nicer toward the end of September than it is now in the middle of July when we're taping the show. I have, actually just one other question occurred to me. There is not a museum of similar proportion in Las Vegas dedicated to gambling. And I'm wondering if you, as somebody who's on the board of this incredibly successful mob museum, have heard anything, if there's been any talk about trying to get a museum that is dedicated to gambling and all of its different forms and aspects and the history of it in Las Vegas and around the world.
6: Well, you know, Ashley, this might be something that you and I can team up on if you want to talk about it further, but uh, uh, you're right. We, we don't have any uh, edifice itself that uh, is a tribute to it, but uh, I'm sure that that might be something as the gaming proliferates around the country that we might want to consider.
4: Okay, fair enough. A good diplomatic answer from a diplomatic guy. Thank you, Jeff. We've appreciated having you on. My pleasure. Okay, listeners, we're going to be back after a quick break.
5: We'll be back with more House of Cards right after this. But I got to ask you, is there anything better than watching football on Thanksgiving? I got you one better. Playing special Thanksgiving Day-only fantasy football games on FanDuel. Pick only players from Thursday's games. Sit back and enjoy the holiday while winning some cash. By the way, my compliments to the NFL schedulers. Every NFL game this Thanksgiving has playoff implications. That means these are great teams. Great teams mean great players, and great players mean big fantasy points. And on FanDuel.com, big fantasy points mean big money. Come on, stuff in your face, watching football, and winning some cash. Is that the perfect day or what? Matt Nichols from Ohio turned a $25 deposit into over $25,000 playing fantasy football on FanDuel. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football leagues, no season long commitments and no upfront fees. They got immediate cash payouts and you play each week or whenever you want to. It's All up to you. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and use my code HOC and sign up now. The new user special is ending soon, and FanDuel will match your first deposit dollar for dollar up to 200 bucks. That's up to $200 free, but the offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code HOC. FanDuel.com, where every week is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today with promo code HOC.
1: So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG.
5: This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams.
6: Everybody's to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. close me up on what ground i'm shocked shocked to find that gambling is going on in here
5: you're winning sir oh thank you very much everybody out at once
4: welcome back listeners you know i never get tired of that clip from casablanca um You know, just a wonderful thing with Claude Rains. It's classic. Uh, I I love it. I love it. So uh, welcome to House of Cards again. And uh, what do we have on our plate for this segment of Mailbag? Well, uh, it all stems from a story
5: I did last week on the gaming report. And I I got a bunch of email on it, uh, basically a bunch of shocked people when when they heard the outcome of this story. So I'm going to set the scenario up for you. Set the scenario up for me. You're in the middle of a casino. In the middle of a casino. You look down. I look down and I see a $100 chip. A winning $200 uh, ticket. Okay. What do you do? Uh,
4: Let's see. If I'm at Foxwoods, I take the $200 ticket and I go up to security and I say, excuse me, sir. Somebody appears to have dropped this $200 ticket. Is there any way to ascertain whose it is? Well,
5: you're a better person than I am because I would have done exactly what the person in this story did. Really? He found the ticket and he cashed it. Oh, my God. Yep. And what happened? He was charged with a crime. What's the crime? Get this one. This is in Pennsylvania. Theft of mislaid property.
4: So if I found a cell phone
5: and kept it, Uh, apparently this is what happened. The person who lost the ticket later on called the police and said, you know, I lost my two hundred dollar ticket. And they went back and took a look at the cameras and they found that this gentleman picked up the ticket and cashed it. And later on, he was charged with theft of mislaid property. By the way, this this was in Harris, Philadelphia which is actually not in Philadelphia. It's in Chester. But right.
4: It used to be called Harris, Harris Chester. Chester. But
5: for marketing reasons.
4: Well, you know, that's, it does raise some ethical questions that I have pondered. Um, I actually have some experience with stuff like that. Okay, great. Um, first of all, lest any lest anyone think I am more virtuous than I am, y- you talked about a ticket. I have found chips mm-hmm. in poker rooms. Okay. And... Um, Do you think there's a difference between that? Oh, absolutely. Because I assume that a ticket is identifiable, Okay, that one could determine whose card was in the machine, which evidently they did in order to track it down. And I would think that it's traceable. A chip, well, here's what happened to me. I mean, I found $1 chips, $5 chips, and unless you absolutely know who dropped it, you just keep the damn chip. I mean, it's no big deal. I've also found $100 bills. Uh, and just kept. I mean, I found a hundred dollar bill outside on the curb, and I just kept it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would okay, and I look around to see if there are any other hundred dollar bills that maybe from a drug deal gone bad, you know, <laughs> flew away. But I have found wallets, and I have found bill folds, and I have found envelopes with money in them. Wow, a where lot you go? Well, I found geez. one on the Long Island Railroad. I found a business size envelope that had about eleven hundred dollars in cash. Okay, and this was in the nineteen seventies. And I kept the money. There was no identification, but I called the train, the LIRR information number. And I told them that I found an envelope with a considerable amount of money in it. And if somebody made a claim, I would be happy to talk to them to determine whether I thought that they were the rightful owner and to return it. And, in fact, a woman called up, said it was all her Christmas money, and uh, we ended up delivering it to her, my friend and I, and uh, did not ask for any reward and were offered one but didn't take it. And when I found a wallet, I immediately returned it to the Uh owner. But when I found – I was at Foxwoods during the first year they opened. They had the World Poker Finals, which was their equivalent of the World Series of Poker. And during that, they had a lot of big cash games. And I saw a few players walking from one big cash game to another. Apparently, their game broke and they were consolidating tables. And somebody in this throng of two or three players – Dropped a green chip, a $25 chip, uh-huh. on the felt in the poker room, on the carpet. And I saw it fall, and I walked over to it, and I picked it up, and I was going to be a hero and say, here's your $25 chip. Yeah. But then I realized, I didn't realize whose it was, and I would have had to have said, so who dropped a $25 yeah, chip? And yeah. four hands would go up, and then you have it. So I just kept it. So – but if it was a if it was two hundred bucks and it was some way to identify who the owner was, I, I would absolutely try to It's not mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, you wouldn't I, though. You would keep I, you it. You know what?
5: A couple emailers said, you know, if this guy was clumsy enough or didn't care enough to hold on to his two hundred dollar ticket, then serves him right. You know, finders keepers and something like. So um, you yeah. know, but a couple emailers also brought up a great point. And I want to ask you, because you've been to casinos around the country, around the world, is there anything posted in the casinos that says you must return found
4: tickets? No, not that I've seen. Well, shouldn't it
5: be? If it's a crime, shouldn't it be posted?
4: Is there anything that says must return lost wallets? Yeah. yeah, Is there anything that says uh, must not reach into the pocket of the person (laughs) next to you and take their cash? Uh, I think some things are fairly self-evident. One is that if you find money, uh, if there's any way to trace it, maybe you know the person wasn't. They were charged with the crime. Yep, charged or they were with just that. ordered to. Well, maybe they no, did no, that no, as no, no, no. No, no, no. The uh,
5: the the person offered to uh, pay the money back, and they said no. It's too late. The state police of Pennsylvania <laughs> said no. You're charged with this. You have to go to court.
4: Wow. Well. So. I don't think that's right. I think that uh, you give a person a free pass first time. They didn't know it was an offense. They thought it was like finding money. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, – I can't be too sympathetic with the courts in that one. I think you've got to give somebody a free pass. Yeah, that sounds – Anything sounds else right. going on?
5: Yeah, we actually got a question about the World Series from Jerry from Nixon, Nevada. Not sure where that is, but uh, it's in Nevada somewhere. I do not recognize any of the names at the final table. Is not having a big name at the final table good for poker?
4: No, of course not. I mean, it's always better to have somebody that the casual player recognizes. But tell me the last one that we had a, ca- a player that a casual person would recognize. Couldn't remember. There you go. No. Um,
5: for the, for the, at least the last five years, I don't think. Ms. Rocky
4: was in one, was wasn't he? he? Uh, when? Last year or two years ago, I think there was one name and then uh, Tran, J.C. Tran, Tran yeah. was in one. But I don't think, frankly, I don't think that generated a ton of interest. You know, oh, <laughs> i got to go see how. I think the final table has been largely anticlimactic. Climac- climactic, yes, anticlimax, yes. I uh, And I don't get why the, and we'll talk to Seth Polanski yeah, about this, yeah. I don't understand why there isn't more of an effort To get these guys out in public among the non-poker playing public, Mm -hmm. casual observer, to make personalities of them, maybe even to have a couple of preliminary matchups, maybe even like a they used to do stuff, uh, competitions of stars, uh, like different types of athletes would have some competition. I mean, they could do all sorts of interesting stuff. They could have them take intelligent tests to (laughs) see who would score highest or... Have them play uh, with ch- with kids or with yeah. celebrities just to get their names better
5: known. That's a great point. You know they should do like a tour of the different poker rooms in different you know yeah. states and you know, kind of like barnstorming across. Barnstorming. Yeah, they That's play
4: like... the local champs. You know you can yeah. have the the final nine against the local nine. And <laughs> That's they a great. Idea, have yeah. a tournament. Uh, you know just for charity, raise money for charity. People, you back which horse you want. You have people bet on uh, which team you think would do better. Now, of course, how do you get these guys who have lives and yeah. who do other things to commit to do that. Um, but on the other hand, maybe you only get three at an event. You don't have to have all of them. Like the uh, they used to do that with the old 50s bands. You'd have the coasters, and out of the actual original coasters, there are two of them <laughs> are actually authentic, and the rest are fill-ins. You could have the you know, November 9, three of the November 9 go to Foxwoods. A couple will go yeah. to, you know, Horseshoe Hammond. You have a couple that go to Reno, one that goes down to Tampa, and they could do local events. I think it would be it, great. It'd boost ratings for the final table. I'd think so, but yeah. I, they don't seem to care so much about ratings. Um, they care about the. I know, you know ESPN does. <laughs> you'd think they yeah. would, but in any event, it's something to ask Seth Polanski when yeah, we talk to sounds him. Sounds good. All right, listeners, that's the end of House of Cards. I know you wish there were more, but uh, you'll have to come back next week. Until then, goodbye and good luck.